Hello, and welcome back to the Morbid Museum. We are your hosts, Katie Mead and Luke Boyd. Hey, everybody. It's been a minute. Hi. I know we've missed you so much. I apologize. It's always me. I'm the problem. It's me. (laughs) I, I swear to God, you guys, there's been way too much like parallel stuff going on in our lives and this podcast. For example, I thought that maybe I had cholera last week. I was so sick. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It was brutal. But in the rest of the world, Luke... What have we done? Are we sorcerers? Because Are we first psychics? The, first yeah. the smog. The smog okay. returned to New York and America. Correct. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible what that was. And I was lucky that I missed it because I was actually in Florida. Yes. It happened. So I didn't even experience the smog, but everybody New, said it yeah, was New, fucking terrible. New York turned the color of a Cheeto um, of Ridiculous. the 45th president. <laughs> it was so stinky. And I was talking to a coworker. And he was like, I feel like I'm in London. And this guy was like, not even a history buff. And I was just like, exactly, dude. Like, this is what's (laughs) going on. And so our London Stinks episode reverberated. um, And it was also part of the Canada story. We've been talking a lot about Canada lately. I know. So there's a lot of unfortunate history rhyming. And this is something that I I don't want to say is exciting, but it is energizing in the stuff we do when if you're working at a museum – and all of a sudden something happens in the real world that's related to the subject of the museum or the mm-hmm. subject of a museum podcast, it's very exciting because we oh, all of a yeah. sudden we have a we have a, a proof that this is important. It's relevant. And this is valuable. Exactly. And we had a friend uh, uh sent an article about <laughs> a woman who owned like a weird witchy shop in Salem. It was <laughs> discovered she was procuring body parts from Harvard. <laughs> The body snatching continues. My God. <laughs> yeah, the Mütter the Mütter Museum is facing oh its ethics. God. There yeah, are there are so many time. things happening. Yeah, in the world and then, right now. Last but absolutely not least, as of this moment, we are recording the podcast. We we just found out within the past several hours that the individuals who were part of the submersible that were going on one of the tours of Titanic that Luke had talked about, it is now believed that they are without a question dead. I mean, in my mind, I knew that they had to be from the moment they said it was missing. Generally, Mm -hmm. you don't come out of that situation, okay? I mean, and I just, the second I saw it hit the news, I was like, holy shit. Is this our fault? (laughs) Did we do this? I mean, it's a terrible coincidence that we were just talking about this with the Titanic episode and the remnants and the coda of the episode was all about Ocean Gate and mm-hmm. the Titanic tourism. I know. And then I had the opportunity to go to the Titanic exhibit that's still on display in New York uh, in Chelsea. And the end of the exhibit is basically a love letter and commercial for Ocean Gate. Oh, um, my God. With all of these high res videos they took with the sub. Um and I, I, I would I would encourage anybody who hasn't seen the original CBS Sunday Morning with Richard Pogue um, when he goes on the sub with the now uh, uh, late uh, Stockton Rush, who was the CEO and on board the vessel when it imploded. Because I was talking to coworkers again, they were talking about the news as it was breaking, and I said, "Well, I know the 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 the." The vessel is 22 feet long and that it's screwed mm-hmm. together and it's controlled by a game console. And everyone was you like, know. what? What? Did you I'm like, what? <laughs> How do you know this thing is, you know, <laughs> made of carbon fiber and titanium? It's like, well, it was a very compelling podcast. No, um, I thought I was going to see you on CNN or something. It's. <laughs> 
reporting live with a C background. It's un it's unbelievable and it's so tragic. And of course, horribly so we are, you know, thinking so much about the ethics of this. And no. one cannot help but think that the Titanic tourism industry is basically dead on arrival now. Um, with this focusing event of these people, you would have to away. think, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm very curious what's going on. I feel like Ocean Gate's going to go under, at least. Yeah, they were already not making any money. It and is such a niche operation, and it's so expensive. Yes, they just lost a very expensive submersible. Yeah, I have no idea how much one of those costs to create. I mean, yeah. When Richard Pogue went on the the trip um, and they go out and try to see the Titanic and uh, they talk about how it's a quarter of a million dollars for every person to go down. Um, it's like, why is it so expensive? It's like, well, we just spent a million dollars on gasoline for the for the vessel. That's that, wild. Yeah. So it's extremely expensive. And these guys were front. They were, you know, pioneers in this field, in this Titanic tourism. This is just like Richard Branson and his Virgin Atlantic and, you know. Elon Musk and going to space and like this private, this private, uh, industry exploring different parts of the universe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Richard Pogue signs a waiver in peace and he says, he's reading it out loud and he goes, Oh, you know, this vessel is not recognized by any sovereign state and it's not adhering to any naval protocol. And you're signing your life away saying, you know, I may get injured. I may die on this vessel. Everybody knew. It says the word death or dead yeah. or something yeah. like could, all could result in death. Yeah, straight up. So people knew what they were getting into. Um, we can still in feel bad that it happened. I mean, it's terrible. Oh, it's awful. It's a tragedy. You know, at the same time, you know, there's this other competing story going on I know. Um, with the uh, the Mediterranean migrant boat disaster, mm -hmm. which in our media world, you know, it seems like we only have space for one story at a time or one type of story at a time like only one tragedy. aquatic only one aquatic story at a, yeah tragedy which is funny because if you're going strictly by the numbers if you're quantifying it in numbers one is far more serious than the other mm -hmm. um and it is a situation where uh, you know there were known risks but you know no one thought that maybe everyone would die or go missing or whatever yes. i mean you know it's yeah, it's tough. I but I have to say above all else, it it really is the <laughs> all joke like not to be funny, but it is how Titanic the Titanic is as a story. Oh, it's... Anytime you put Titanic in something, all of the news is going on it. Yes. So yes. that's that you can't pretend that that's not a huge That only speaks to the space that Titanic holds in our zeitgeist and in the attention span of the world. Mm -hmm. And it's so ironic that the most gilded age thing one can do in 2023 is spend a quarter of a million dollars to go see the gilded age wreck the of the Titanic. The most gilded age ship. Yes. And isn't it interesting that the 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 Rush family, Stockton Rush, He's descended from two decoration signers, which is fascinating. And Wendy Rush, his wife, is descended from the Strausses. The Strausses, who Luke talked about. That's the that's the old couple in the movie that we see portrayed in the movie, which is yes. so fucking crazy. Like, really, it's it's, it's really, whew. really 
eerie. And so, of course, you know, the rushes to Stockton rushes, like, you know, bona fide American, <laughs> you know, historical aristocrat, really, you know, the mm -hmm. only kind of person who would be gifted this kind of background mm -hmm. that could allow him to be this uh, entrepreneur. You know, it was tough to to kind of go plodding along the last few days because we knew that, you know, they made all these metaphors like the size of the you know state of Connecticut, what they're looking for in terms of the water. It's so terrifying. They're trying to find sounds. They thought they heard, you know, bumps, but that could have been anything, you know, was it orcas, you know, all these terrible memes and conspiracy theories. And it is a tragedy. Um, but I would hope to think that this is what we might call a focusing event that yes. changes the discourse and I would say that we know that there's a treaty in force now, thank goodness, mm -hmm. between the United States and, and the UK that regulates this shit. And OceanGate was the only one that had access. And now I'm sure that company will go under. They've lost their CEO. Yep. Not all companies are meant to survive. And I, I stick with what I said in the episode in that I don't see a reason for this. I don't think that it's something to do. And now this is proven. It obviously was dangerous this has proven that the worst can happen yes and there's just there's no reason for this there just isn't you know you don't need to go you no, don't need to see it i really Some don't things are better left unseen just because you can doesn't mean you should speaking of which <laughs> <laughs> I had to talk about it. before any of this happened with this horrible incident i had planned to talk about today's episode which is the bermuda triangle great choice you want to talk ironic you just were like i didn't have enough with prison ships and all this other shit i want to go back to nautical hell well we so the reason why i chose the bermuda triangle is because i was like you know what would be fun if we do like some legends and folklore -y kind of things for a little while sure. like more like it's more fun and lighthearted because we had a really dark month last <laughs> month between the Amistad and yes. the Canadian the stories. Canadian Jesus missing Christ. Missing and murdered women. Yeah. So, and, uh, <laughs> it's something piratey, something, you know, yeah, folklore. Mystery, paranormally. So, mm -hmm. yeah, unfortunately, the timing makes it seem like I'm a dick, but I swear to God, I plan Well, Captain, you've chosen our heading. Take us to see Mrs. Mead. <laughs> Hopefully with far more success than some of the things I'm going to talk about today. So the Bermuda Triangle, also known as the Devil's Triangle, <laughs> is this I everyone has heard of the Bermuda Triangle. Of course, yes. Luke, when you were a kid, were you super scared of this like I was? Like I was. So I was definitely afraid. Yeah. I was afraid that I would be swimming away from a shark and swim into the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. Right? Like that was like the twin fears of anything <laughs> water related. And, in and your... that it's like a triangle that's just like a shelf of water. <laughs> you just fall into the shelf. You don't see it. It's like an invisible vanishing line. And you just fall over the edge straight down into a perfect Pythagorean triangle. Absolutely. I always pictured that once you're in it, all of a sudden it turns into like, you know, the science experiment you do with the two coke bottles with the water yes. in it <laughs> like, like making it like a yeah. vortex that's oh it like the second you got in there it just went whoosh 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 yeah look at the penny go down wow yeah like you're flushing down a toilet that's exactly yeah. what it was in my mind so i think <laughs> since we were kids it's always been something lingering in the back of our minds but and i and it's definitely growing up used a lot as a colloquialism you know 
people throw around the Bermuda Triangle as an analogy for a bunch of other things. Right. It's like my office at work full of paper. Things disappear. Yes. They come it, back in six months. Yeah. Like, you know, it's yeah. a Bermuda Triangle. Well, if it's the mm-hmm. Bermuda Triangle, it never comes back. But correct. <laughs> and um, while it may hold true for some of us that, you know, this is something that really sticks to us. Uh, the legend of the Bermuda Triangle, as we know it today, actually isn't that old. It's only been mm-hmm. around for about 80 years, which I think a lot of people no might not realize. Yeah. yeah. Um, but before we get into the story, let's talk about what it is and where it is. So according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, also known as NOAA, which is one of our dear friend's names. Hey, Noah, what's up? Hey, Noah. <laughs> also working with Titanic. Love yeah. her. The Bermuda Triangle is a region in the western part of the North Atlantic Ocean in which ships, planes, and people are alleged to have mysteriously vanished. Geographically speaking, we're talking about um, these three points of the triangles are supposed to be Miami, Bermuda, and San Juan Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. although the actual sides of the triangle seem a little blurry, those are for sure the three points. Mm-hmm. Uh, some individuals who've written about the triangle say its total area is anywhere between 500,000 and 1.5 million, <laughs> which is a we love a we love a range. We love, we a, love range. a big range. I give a lot of crazy ranges on this show. <laughs> this is one of the worst. <laughs> Approx. <laughs> Pretty yes. big difference. And it actually affects by by giving it that much breath that affects what disappearances an author could attribute to the triangle if they're trying to make a case, let's say, for a certain ship being related to the Bermuda Triangle. So there we go with one of our first discrepancies. Many more to come. <laughs> but what everyone agrees on, both true believers in the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle and others who are far more science-minded and look at it way more logically, there absolutely have been disappearances in this area. Mm. However, put an asterisk. We can say that really not any more or less than other parts of the world where a region is this traveled. People mm-hmm. are flying and sailing in that area constantly. And when we go back hundreds of years, the age of exploration, there were ships going through there, trading around that area constantly. Right. Constantly. You're going to uh, Barbados, you're going to Bermuda, you're going to Jamaica. I mean, have you been to the Caribbean, Luke? I've flown no. through the Bermuda Triangle more than once, for sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, how many slave ships, how many regular merchant vessels, how many any craft have gone over? It's not like a no go zone. It's not like Area 51 where, you know, exactly. Or even that. It's exactly. So what's so interesting is then, okay, so then how do you make an argument for this being this vortex when people go through it all the time and there's no problem? Mm. So let's get into sort of the the bric a brac craziness that is this story. Noah, that I was just talking about, not our friend Noah. Uh, (laughs) Yes. In 2010, they declared in an article, there is no evidence that mysterious disappearances occur with any greater frequency in the Bermuda Triangle than in any other large, well-traveled area of the ocean. So I think it's safe to say that most... I don't want to use the word credible right off the bat, but let's say they're probably pretty credible, would agree yeah. that with that statement, okay? 
And at the moment, we're going to talk about some of the possible reasons for these disappearances and some of the statistics from both sides of the aisle. But I think what will kind of set the stage best is to talk about the disappearances themselves. Mm -hmm. So there have been upwards of 100 disappearances attributed to the Bermuda Triangle, although it's pretty hard to quantify. Because for all we know, there have been hundreds and hundreds. Because how long were these being recorded? Who was recording them? I don't know. But according to the U.S. Navy, they say concretely it's about 50 ships and 20 aircraft that have gone missing in that area. And this is in the last 80 years. I think that that possibly stretches beyond the last 80 years. Okay. Because they look at they before it was named the Bermuda Triangle, and it wasn't named the Bermuda Triangle by any sort of authority. It was, of course, like with everything, a writer who <laughs> started calling it that. Mm -hmm. So I think that those numbers go further than that. That they're looking at mm -hmm. they there are accounts of from the past pre nineteen fifties when this sure. term would have been coined, where they're like, oh, we know for a fact that this ship went down in this area of ocean. So And there's been more ships than planes in the last hundred years, of course. Exactly. So the ships yeah. thing, I mean, I, I really don't know how you could quantify that. Mm -hmm. But while there are lots of stories, the types of stories vary wildly depending on the ship or depending on a plane. And so, some of the stories are either, you usually get a couple of different versions. Either it's a plane was out flying and then all of a sudden lost transmission and then they never saw it again. It's a mm -hmm. boat that's sailing along, sailing along, and then all of a sudden it was never seen again. Or the third version is a boat is found and it's a ghost ship it seems like there are no people on it anymore and the ship is just found okay. floating, which is definitely the scariest version in my personal mm -hmm. opinion. So because there's so many of these stories and we, of course, are always on a time budget, I wanted to focus on one of the most famous and the one that really propels this Bermuda Triangle legend forward. Excellent. And this is the disappearance of Flight 19. Ooh, get ready. On December 5th, 1945, Flight 19, which consisted of a group of five torpedo bombers, flew out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to complete some fairly routine bombing exercises. Uh, they were going to be flying to four points over what we now know as the Bermuda Triangle, because remember, the title doesn't exist at that time. The flight leader was United States Navy Lieutenant Charles Carroll Taylor who had about 2,500 flying hours, and his trainee pilots each had about 300 total. So no one here is a newbie or a slouch. Mm -hmm. They know what they're doing. Okay. So after about two hours into the exercise, radio conversations are overheard at the base between the pilots. One of the crew members were heard asking another for their compass reading, to which that individual, Captain Edward Joseph Powers, replied, I don't know where we are. We must have got lost after that last turn. As communications went on, it was discovered that the five planes were struggling to get their compasses to work. Lieutenant Taylor reported, both of my compasses are out and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I am over land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down and I don't know how to get to Fort Lauderdale. Mm. This, the, the actual like accounts give me chills. I hate it so much. Oof. Yeah. So... Taylor, unfortunately, was mistaken. 
He was not over the Keys. They didn't realize till later where he was was over the Bahamas, which you could oh. see why the little dotted geography of the yeah, it looks mm-hmm. a lot like that, I imagine, from that sure. high up. So because of that horrible mistake, he's all turned around. His compass isn't mm-hmm. working. He instructs the men. He's he's telling them to fly west, which is actually northeast. So instead of getting closer to Florida, getting closer to the mainland, they're flying further out to sea. Mm-hmm. Not good. <laughs> so soon they are struggling to navigate the skies. They are struggling with communications with the ground station, and therefore they can no longer receive instruction or help with navigation. The ground station could still hear the communication between the pilots, however. And the last thing they heard Taylor say was, all planes close up tight. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. And ditch means a landing in the water. Right. So we'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. Oh, jeez. So that was the last thing they ever heard. Immediately, once communication vanished, air bases, aircraft, and merchant ships are notified, and they start looking for the five bombers. An intensive rescue mission ensued immediately. The Coast Guard and the Navy, they were covering, I think it was 700 square kilometers over five mm-hmm. days. And this is possibly the craziest part of the story. Another plane which was carrying 13 passengers, a seaplane, went looking for these planes, and it also disappeared, never to be found again. And now... Yeah. Freaky. Apparently, the only clue to that, what happened with that plane, is that a ship said that they saw a giant fireball in the sky, then like an explosion in the water, essentially. So it's assumed that in all likelihood, the, the ship blew up. Something mm-hmm. happened with the with the fuel tanks. Who knows? I mean, crazy coincidence that it would happen yeah. on that day. <laughs> and you're describing a, a situation where more than one plane is having this like instrument failure. Mm-hmm. And they have like what they call what they call like instrument blindness or something like that. It's like what happened to JFK Jr. Where basically you don't know if you're going up or down, east or west. You like, don't. Their com- their compasses yeah. completely cease to work. And and some of them even had more than one in their aircraft. Sure. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And to this date, as of right now, no debris of any of those five planes or that additional plane that went looking for them or obviously any human remains, any of the passengers, nothing has ever been found. And so that that is enough to start a legend for sure. So there you go. That's a terrifying story. It really is. Really spooky. Yeah. No, I, I, I have read it and reread it and I just said it out loud and I gave myself chills because <laughs> it is just playing upon one of our worst fears. Every time you get on a plane, you try to put that thought in the back of your fucking mind, but like it's there. Yes. You're, you're looking at the dotted line that you're following across the map and you're like, good Lord in heaven, get me just along that line, follow that dotted line. Cause the, I see expanse of. North and south of black. And <sighs> it's a big scary globe, man. And especially and when you're over so the ocean, baby. When you're over the ocean, it's a whole different vibe. It's a whole different vibe. Yeah, it's so scary. Yeah. <laughs> this is fascinating. So this is like you say, 1950 or so? So this is 1945. So what's okay, really so like, 
towards the end of oh, the war. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like I said, like Lieutenant Taylor, he had been in the war. He'd been the, in the theater doing He'd seen some yeah, real flying shit. this kind of plane over and over and over sure. again. So that's what made like it a DC seven crazy. Yeah. It really was. And they and his wife, his his widow, I should say, fought really hard in the aftermath of his death to not make it seem as though he was at fault here, even though it was his bad directions essentially that likely led to the men getting lost. But I from everything I've read, it doesn't sound like he that that blame is really put at his feet as and it really shouldn't be, honestly. No. no. How if if his shit's not working, what's he supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't like he was, you know, unlike the captain of the Titanic or Ocean Gate, you know, he wasn't like not heeding warnings of don't fly over that little Death, death, devil triangle. No, the one thing that I did read was the other guys seemed to have a better sense of where they were, but followed command because they're supposed to follow command. Yes, including the plan to ditch. Yeah, which potentially, is assuming that's what they all did. Yeah. For all they know, some of them like didn't, and they just stayed in the air till they ran out of fuel. I don't know. Ugh. Either way, it's a horrible, it's a horrible story. It's a horrible death. Mm. And this mm. is amazing fodder for spooky stories, right? To to create some fantasy on top of what is already a very scary story. And you and I know, Luke, from our fascination with conspiracy theories and all these kinds of fantastical legends, you know, it's not just the idea that someone you love would die, but they just vanish without a trace. And when things like that happen, we really struggle to understand how something so insane is just potentially part of life. And that's how legends are born. (laughs) That's how urban legends are born. Yes. This this person's death or disappearance is not explained away so easily. So we have to we have to rationalize it with something metaphysical, something larger, something conspiratorial to balance out the pain or the tragedy that we feel. And that particular um, story is probably the best example too, because it is so scary that they had the equipment. They had the ability to navigate. They had people on the ground who were helping them do what they could do. And it, they still right. disappeared. So let's fast forward to 1950, five years after the incident. On September 17th, 1950, a article published in the Miami Herald, by Edward Van Winkle Jones, best name ever. <laughs> he writes a, a, an article with the best title ever called Sea's Puzzle Still Baffle Men in Push Button Age. <laughs> Gotta go, go, go. Press the button, go. You think you know what you're doing? You don't know nothing, mister. <laughs> this tin can's got plenty of gas. Let's go. <laughs> so, and his article is very. Very straightforward. It's not, it's not of the beginning of the, the of the theories. He's just saying, isn't it crazy that Mother Nature still kicks our ass no matter how far along we've come? And he lists out all of these instances of when this mm-hmm. has happened, right? Two years later in Fate magazine, uh, they published uh, an article called See Mystery at Our Back Door by George Sand, which... 
<laughs> which is the who's Ryan Seacrest's great yes. grandfather. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so he George Glass, George Sand, Brady Bunch. George Sand. He specifically covers in that article the loss of several planes and ships, and he is the one that really lays out the triangular shape. He's shipping the he's triangle. He's shipping the triangle, and he's the one who's say who's starting to imply that maybe there's supernatural forces at work because I don't have a good explanation. Do you? <laughs> and this is a this is a journalist. Yes. <laughs> I mean, is Fate Magazine like satirical or like is it? Well, so yeah, it's know? funny because it seems like the magazines, magazine. the magazines, and the publications and the authors get worse and worse the further along in this little history that you go. Yeah. So we're only a few electrons away from the Inquirer in 1950 then, with Fate Magazine. Then we get to Vincent Gaddis who first coins the phrase the Bermuda Triangle in a pulp magazine article in 1964. I was going to say, this is mad pulpy. super pulpy. And think about, you know, for all you folks who maybe don't know your sci-fi history, the 60s is what the fuck is up when it comes to sci-fi. Isaac Asimov. Oh my God, everyone's obsessed with going to space and Martians right. and aliens. Right. L. Ron Hubbard to, invented oh a religion God, after being a sci-fi guy. Genetics in the house. <laughs> they called him Xenu, the Supreme Ruler. You got Duck with <laughs> Duck Dodgers or oh no, Buck Rogers, Duck Rogers Buck is Rogers. the most funny one. <laughs> Buck Rogers is the actual spaceman show. Right, fuck Rogers, yep, the gay that porn guy, spinoff. He was yeah. excellent as well. Um. <laughs> but you're right. This is the this is an era, and it's like we talked about it before, like the pulpy material oh. that the paper is made of. It's throwaway. It's, it's like perfect. tissue. It is. It's disposable. This is the it's time great. for this story to come into existence, right? Yeah, and a time for people to believe it too. You know. Um, You're right. People, people's trust in the government and institutions is cracking with the Cold War, JFK. So it's like this is a very fertile counterculture. It's a breeding ground for this kind of anti-authority, anti-you know news sort of yeah. world we know today. Yeah, and what gets really wild with some of these stories is you sort of are seeing this regression of being from fact mm -hmm. to like theory to then we get to someone like. Alan W. Eckert, who wrote something in American Legion, where he claims that Lieutenant Taylor in Flight 19 supposedly said, we are entering white water. Nothing seems right. We don't know where we are. The water is green. No white. That's. And then radio silence. <laughs> he just. Right. Not a real, not a real fact. And he claimed that in his article that officials at the Navy Board of Inquiry stated that the planes flew off to Mars. No. To Zeno? <laughs> to Cola? Oh, we're full of things. <laughs> you get your own planet. Okay. So, yeah. This is fascinating. So, just... so there's no black boxes then, no. right? Like this so, is. So everything yeah. just explodes okay. in turn. Like the ships are exploding. The planes are exploding. And these theories are exploding as well. It's a yeah. lot of nutsy, nutso stuff. So let's actually talk about some of the theories. And let's start with the best ones, which are the science fiction paranormal approach to the topic. Because sure. when in doubt... Blame the aliens, blame monsters, blame ghosts, blame Satan. That's what I always say. 
When in doubt. The devil's triangle, y'all. <laughs> so escape ride Marco, that was <laughs> so some of these authors there's such a range here and again same thing i don't have time to go into the nitty-gritty of all of these yeah but some of them will without batting an eye say oh yeah that ship was taken down by a sea monster <laughs> the kraken a giant right? squids for sure Sure, Definitely. Sure. They have taken boats and planes. It makes sense that there would be nothing mm. left. They just dragged them down to the bottom of the sea, whatever. But I think the strongest, I don't want to say most compelling <laughs> argument, but the strongest argument is made by those who are in the alien camp. And uh, mm -hmm. they believe, like with anything that involves aliens, alien abduction, alien appearances if something was here and then all of a sudden it's not or if something weird happens that we can't really identify it's got to be the aliens <laughs> right yes and when you say the strongest argument do you mean the loudest argument or the argument that makes the, the most sense of the non-scientific of the pseudo-scientific arguments it's the better oh. one like like they okay. like people have gone in on this argument versus like someone saying, eh, it was a giant squid. It's like, well, right. And this is UFO. Time. Yes, exactly. So, so uh, my favorite theory personally involves the, Bu the Bermuda triangle actually being a vortex that pulls you into a totally different dimension that is connected to the lost city of Atlantis. <laughs> what in the George Lucas? <laughs> that you is right. Indiana Jones, and the Bermuda you triangle. Love it? I love it. I do. I do. It's perfect because you have to connect two conspiracies together to make a super Well, and conspiracy. the person who did that was this wackadoo author named Charles Berlitz. Have you ever heard of him? He's an infamous nutcase who authored a lot of books on the paranormal and the unexplained. And he wrote, um, he first wrote a book on the lost city of Atlantis. And in that he mentions the Bermuda Triangle, but he followed up on that with a book in 1974 completely devoted to the Bermuda Triangle and his belief that it is an area that is prone to these disappearing ships and airplanes because of Atlantis. It's <laughs> Atlantis being destroyed specifically, I guess, created this vortex in the middle of uh, <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, this has to do with aliens. He's also the guy who says that the reason why Atlantis was destroyed was because of nuclear weapons under the sea. <laughs> this is great. This yes, this yes. Is great. alien life forms living in this lost city. Um, I think he's also the one that said that there were crystal pyramids found at the bottom of the sea in the Bermuda Triangle. And oh, the this Bermuda Tri the Bermuda Triangle pyramids thing—that is a whole other crazy side quest, conspiracy Whoa. theory, Mason, crazy town shit, Illuminati. I refuse to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> angle would be a portal to angles pyramids. I guess I mean. And folks, I know you know this, <laughs> but threes in history such an important symbol. Yes. So important. So it's just like mwah, chef's kiss perfect that this is a triangle shape, right? It's also <laughs> so funny because this is the new world. Yeah. World. Yeah. So, yeah. 
the thing with the ghost ships being found where crews appear and seem to have just vanished into thin air. That's another thing that you could very easily attribute to aliens versus, you know, storms and pirates. Raptured. Is, yeah. Again, Xenu. I don't know. Sure. Space planes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, do you believe in aliens or what are your thoughts on aliens? We've never had this conversation. Well, I've had a journey. So mm. when I was in college, I, you know, got on the atheist train. I was a Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins acolyte. Mm -hmm. And I very much got it. Cool. I got into the ancient aliens theory. Um, no. You know, I read a lot of Zechariah Sitchin's books like The Twelfth Planet. No. A lot of that stuff. Oh, they got you. Oh, it, it's like, you know, you're reading and you're like, this could be bullshit, but it's such a good story. Amazing theory that's being presented. So, I mean. You're also smart enough to take that stuff with skepticism. Absolutely. The way and, that you a know, good atheist should. Yeah. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense that what early civilizations would attribute to a supernatural, you know, godlike being could be biological, terrestrial versus spiritual. That idea mm -hmm. still holds water to me. And it's what, you know, my professor in college who I studied ast astronomy with calls the tyranny of distance. Mm. Like these planets or these beings, whether it be a planet that's just gas or a planet that's just rock, it's so, so far away that we can't reach it. They can't reach us if there's a they. So, right. you know, the whole idea with crossing that comes every 36 centuries, 3,600 mm -hmm. years, the rules of threes and twelves, yep. the 12th planet. So you've got the nine planets and you've got um, the sun. Yeah, they really the moon. fucked up some theories, huh? They did. Yeah, the sun and the moon and then this planet of crossing where the Nephilim would come. And his idea was like the cross, the, the cruciform sign of religion is actually a symbol of the crosses our uh, orbit every 3,600 years. I mean, it's crazy. And you're just reading it. And it's like, this is so fascinating. And these were like little 495 like paperbacks I would get from Barnes and Noble. And they were so sure. fun to read. It's fun, yeah. It recast all of world history in this light. So, I mean, you know, whatever is happening, there's going to be no proof in my lifetime. Because again, what kind of ego do we have to think that in the vastness of time and space, these truths will reveal themselves to us in our lifetime? How, how, how human of us to think. Yeah, really. You know what I, mean? I mean, with uh, aliens are the same way that, you know, we've talked about ghosts and hauntings and demons yes. and stuff in this podcast before. And, and I feel the same way about that as I do with aliens. I, I would say I have a, a healthy dose of skepticism. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm totally convinced one way or the other. I actually, what's funny is I'm more convinced of ghosts and stuff like that than I am of aliens. You're Isn't a humanist at the end of the day. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I really believe in us. I don't yes. know why. <laughs> you can't let go. Let's go to the more scientific theories. Please surrounding. take me. Take me. <laughs> Let's the logic. go. You need it. Let's talk compasses, y'all. That <laughs> compass part of that story is really freaky. Compass? Campus. You don't say compass? No, I say campus. I'm from <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> campus. Continue. My compass. My, my compass. My compass. My compass. My compass. So, my crumpus. My crumpus. <laughs> my crumpus and my rumpus. <laughs> yes. So campus problems are one of the number mo number one most cited things that come up 
with the Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. In fact, even Christopher Columbus writes about this during his first journey across the Atlantic Ocean in 1492. Apparently, he notes this in his captain's log that there were that, like there was weird shit going on with his compass. So, mm-hmm. because of this, some people have theorized that there must be something weird going on, some magnetic anomalies, something with the rocks in that area that's causing this weird, like, magnetic force that makes compasses go fucking haywire. Sure. But no, that is not what's happening. Compasses have a natural magnetic variation, meaning magnetic north and geographic or true north are Exactly the same for only a small number of places. In fact, I think it might only be two, and the Bermuda Triangle is one of them. Mm. So that can make your your compass reading not so great. That's right. Not reliable. That's right. So it just happens to be this one weird fucking spot where it becomes kind of useless. Which is and that's scary. often why these vessels have more than one compass because you might be getting a false reading on one. Um, and so mm-hmm. another that's like in the ship, it's like one that's lower to the water is better than the one that's up high, closer mm-hmm. to like the sky, or so I understand. Um, yeah, so I you're know. saying that the Bermuda Triangle is one of those few places where magnetic north, you know, can really mess you up. Yeah, you hit magnetic north and true north, they're exactly the same. So mm. you can't, you your compass could go totally haywire. Right. There's not a lot you can do about it. So that ex- that's one explanation for that weird part of the story. Mm-hmm. Then let's talk about the water itself. So some of you are likely familiar with the Gulf Stream. Uh, this originates in the Gulf of Mexico, and then it flows through the Straits of Florida into the North Atlantic. Basically, you could think of it as like a river flowing through the ocean. Yes, And like a river, it can move very quickly, carrying objects on its surface at an extremely rapid rate. So if I'm a plane and I make a water landing, or if I'm a boat and I have radioed my position telling people to come find me, there's a good chance that I will immediately be carried far from that point and no one will be able to find me. Absolutely. And those currents go in different directions every couple hundred feet. Oh, my God. And the Gulf Stream itself is 40 to 50 miles wide, so it's huge. Terrifying. Oh, my God, beyond scary. So in addition to that, this warm water combined with these speedy currents, it can actually affect the weather within the Mm. Gulf. Uh, The NOAA Chief of Marine Forecast Branch says, if you have the right atmospheric conditions, you could get quite unexpectedly high waves. And if wave heights are eight feet outside the Gulf Stream, they could be two or even three times higher within it. Mm. Sometimes sailors identify the Gulf Stream by the clouds and thunderstorms that are over it. Whoa. Isn't that fucking wild? Scary. Nature is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Like I have all these friends and maybe you're one of them where like I will never go camping. Fuck you. I'm never going in the woods by myself. I'm a city. And then I, people who are like, oh, I can't live in New York City. I'm like, bitch, it is yeah. way safer than out there on a yeah. boat. I had a, back- I had a bo- I had a Boy Scout phase. So I had to do orienteering and we learned about Magnetic North and, you know, we of got lost in the woods, got to find our way. And yeah, do. camping is fun. Uh, you know, 
you know, when you get older, your your back isn't so great sitting on the line on the ground, <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> like, you know, it's not as fun, but yeah, roughing it. Um, but, you know, I have a friend who lives in the Great Lakes and she mm. talks about the lake effect and how the weather from the lakes can be really very real and spooky. And like, that's very similar to what's happening on a massive scale with the oceans. With a massive scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something else that we know about um, this area, these Caribbean Atlantic storms are fierce. Yes. They're so unpredictable. They're so dangerous for anybody who's traveling in the sea or the air when a when a known storm is coming. We never really like you think of all the times that a hurricane has started in this area. We never know which way it's going to go, mm-hmm. how it's going to decrease or intensify really up until basically it happens. Like we've been blindsided I mean, here in New York, we got really blindsided by Sandy. We did not understand yeah. how bad it was going to be. And then there's been hurricanes like Irma where we got off pretty easy. So mm-hmm. if you think about just that nature of a hurricane, by the time it all the way gets up here, fucking forget it down there. Yeah. So without question, storms have absolutely played a very large role in the vast majority of these disappearances. And with some of the trenches of the Bermuda Triangle Um, being some of the deepest in the world. And we're talking 19,000 feet below surface level. And that's at the southern tip. I think in Puerto Rico, what do I have here? Oh my God, the deepest point is 27,500 feet below sea level. Wow. So you will never find something that goes down in a storm. Ever. Over five miles. You will never find it. And just for (laughs) context, the Titanic is two and a half miles down. Hello. <laughs> so like th- there's a lot of depths we don't even know. Exactly. I mean the ocean's really scary when it you is. come down to it. it I'm is. not fucking Yeah. I'm not fucking with the ocean. So <laughs> next comes these are the theories th- those are the things that I think explain away a lot of the phenomenon very well. Absolutely. But, but here's a really fun theory and it's my favorite and you're going to realize why it's my favorite immediately. Apparently there are large fields of something called methane hydrates, oh, a no. form of natural gas on the continental shelves, which for all of you non-Earth science, non-geography peeps, that's the edge or seabed of a continent that is under shallow water. It's not like deep under the sea. It's pretty much like you have the land and then it's under the water. And then it's, it's your deep. last chance before it drops off into precisely. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently. A scientist in Australia did some experiments where they found that these gas bubbles could actually decrease the density of the water and therefore take down a ship. And in Norway, they saw some of this same stuff happening with their continental shelves. And so basically these ocean farts. I was going to say the earth, (laughs) the fucking core of the earth is farting through the, through the water. Like you do in the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Ship got taken out by a big ocean toot. No. (laughs) It's mother nature's toots. Y'all. Oh no. She is gassy and she is not happy. Neptune's butt. Yep. (laughs) Neptune's boho. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god so so it, it, oh, so it makes the water denser which like messes with the pressure this is i mean i'm not a scientist i'm not no gonna, it's it's, like, it's a little bit above my pay grade to be honest but basically it says it's been hypothesized that the periodic methane eruptions which are sometimes also called mud volcanoes which 
just sounds Jesus like diarrhea. Jesus Christ, people, what are we doing? <laughs> what are like we diarrhea. doing? We and that's this. also, by the way, what I'm calling diarrhea from now on. <laughs> I had a mud volcano event last week, doctor. I just I need to just talk that. I really did. Anyway, mm, uh, these mud. mud volcanoes may produce regions of frothy water that are no longer capable of providing adequate buoyancy for ships. So if this were the case, such an area forming around a ship could cause it to sink very rapidly and without warning. Into the mud farts. <laughs> into the bottom of that fucking 27,000 foot trench. So all, but all of this being said, there actually is no proof at this time that this is happening in the Bermuda Triangle or causing disappearances in that area. But okay. it's an interesting scientific approach to yes. the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. All these anomalies occurring yeah. in this general region. And then, you know, there's always taken into account human error, mm-hmm. bad navigation, bad equipment, Faulty equipment. Hubris is a big one. There are a few stories about oh, what was the one that I read? This is this is another like pretty famous one where it was a the USS Cyclops, which is actually yeah. still considered the deadliest unsolved mystery of the Navy. Um, <laughs> basically, it was having its like final mission, which is like extra sad. And this was like 1918. And so it was 309 individuals. When, as, as we've referred to them before, souls were never found again. Okay. The ship was never found again. And this is a, this is a United States vessel. I mean, right. you know, for something like this to go missing is a huge deal, as would be the, the bomber planes. Right. But one of the things that's talked about in that story is apparently the captain was a real dick. And the only guy who won, the only officer, he understood the appropriate way to store uh, manganese, which is what they, these are those like ships that would carry like tons of ore, mm-hmm. which could be like really, really heavy and yep. dangerous to put on a ship. Oh, so he was the only one who really knew how to do it correctly, apparently, but he was arrested and confined to quarters because he got in a disagreement with the captain. Allegedly, I don't know, but that ship is likely likely sank because of the uneven weight distribution because the person was in a tiff with the captain. Mm-hmm. So you can't you can't put that aside. And captaining a plane, captaining a ship, there's a lot of ego there. People are going to get in fights about what to do and oh what not to God. do. And then there's the the pride around sailing in bad weather, mm-hmm. flying in bad weather. It's never unheeded a good idea. warnings. Yeah. Unheeded warnings. Yeah. I mean, this is sadly, again, this parallels the current events. It is. Uh, quite well. Um, so in your mind, do you think mind. the Bermuda Triangle conspiracy is as strong as it was, say, in our youth? Because it was like tough things oh, yeah. to, to, like, to like talk about. I don't know. It was just like the, the myths we traded as kids, like the Bermuda Triangle just sounded very exotic and sexy. And I think that's because it's what our parents grew up with. And so- we kind of inherited that from the boomer generation, mm-hmm. but the generations in between that are the ones who went, what? That's <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Right. But like, you know, and you, and that was my first thought was like, this should die with the internet, but we know mm-hmm. the internet also creates so many conspiracies. So the alt thing is like, oh, you know, I, I don't know what the theory is, but it's like this gigantism theory where it's like, yeah, the pyramids are just the top of a huge iceberg of pyramid that go down like a thousand miles. Um, you know, yeah. And it seems like, yeah, sure, there's a market for expanded Bermuda Triangle theories, but I think 
in my lizard brain, it's just not trafficked as much. That's yeah. It's, it's a, it's like, it kind of, it kind of fell off. Well, so what kind of really, really actually killed Tell this me. legend was a, <laughs> another author who looked at all of these books was like, this is fucked. Like, <laughs> let's stop it. And he gave a list of all of these scientific explanations. And that kind of stopped this intense onslaught of mm. people writing about it and creating theories. But at that point, the damage was kind of done. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's If you think of it in the context of other things we've done in this episode, the best comparison I can think of is Rasputin. Sure. The damage had been done. It like it doesn't matter yeah. how much we research this. I I did a full episode on that guy. I could probably talk to someone tomorrow who believes all the shit that I said it can be easily refuted by yeah. historians at this point. Yes, it's planted. And once it's there, man, it's there. I think it's really hard to overturn a legend. You can't pull it out by the root. And yeah. certainly I think it's in the ba- it was in the back of a lot of our minds with something like the beloved show Lost, mm-hmm. you know, like the Oceanic Six, like pulled down into the Bermuda Triangle, like all these like metaphysical island things. And not to get too heavy, but like you know, we also, I mean, I I'm I'm a little older than you, but like your family was very aware. <laughs> Shut up, your family was very aware of uh, the Challenger, things like sure. that happening, where it's like I want to. I, I want to live more in this fantasy version of of something happening, but the reality is, ships blow up, planes blow up, yes. stuff crashes. Like it's bad, and so it's a it's a scary story to tell your kids to a certain extent. And it's <laughs> it's it's real. It's not like it's not real. That's also why it continues to have so much staying power. Just the reasons are probably pretty easy to explain because the truth is without question no matter what the most important part of the story is this has happened yes but it happens in any place that is highly traveled correct these are just correlated into a theme or an idea that was fed into the you know sort of worldview and got a lot of traction was remixed in the media and Mm -hmm. permeated through oral tradition and fantasy and And it's also ours it's the it's the you it's the one connected to the united states yes exactly yeah that's Um, what rings true to me yes i think so and my can i tell you my favorite quote that i got from my research absolutely john riley a historian with the u.s naval historical foundation says to say quite a few ships and airplanes have gone down there is like saying there are an awful lot of car accidents on the New Jersey Turnpike. <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly right. You could say that, yeah, the New Jersey Turnpike is cursed. You know, Route 66. Yeah. <laughs> the waterways accident. are the highways. Yeah. So it's all exactly. makes a lot of sense. And that's just that's the lo- that's the most like James Randi like logical explanation. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Which I love. So, you know. Whatever you believe, that's up to you. I invite you to do your own research, read up on some of these theories. A lot of these articles are very easily accessible online. You could read them for yourselves just to kind of see these interesting takes from these dudes from the 60s. Um, But besides that, how could you explore the Bermuda Triangle? Bitch, you could go to Florida, Bermuda, San Juan, (laughs) go wherever you want. What if, yourself- I, what if I'm stuck at home? <laughs> <laughs> Book yourself a little pleasure cruise. Get on a flight to the Caribbean. If you do happen to find yourself in Bermuda, which I highly recommend, B- Bermuda is one of the most 
beautiful places I have ever been to. And everyone there has English accents, which is delightful. Yes, the ex-king was the governor there during the war. Yes, they have a former colony. You can go to the Bermuda Underwater Exploration Institute, which is this incredible center and museum that's mission includes the statement to nurture an appreciation for the ocean around Bermuda by offering education and experiences related to our ocean and through exploration. And in one of their galleries, they talk a lot about Bermuda being the shipwreck capital of the world, Mm. which I had never heard it called that. But apparently upwards of 300 ships have wrecked there, which is wild. It's the global ship graveyard. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense because I some of you may have heard this term used before. But if you're ever traveling to the Caribbean, you may hear people say, you know, avoid the ABC islands at certain times of years, Mm. you know, so it's like you want to or go to the ABC islands, you want to avoid the islands (laughs) that go a certain place in the alphabet. So like in the in the fall, when it was still hurricane season, I went to Aruba, because it's out of the hurricane path. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. Bermuda is absolutely in that hurricane path at part of that Bermuda Triangle. So it's not a place you would want to go to during hurricane season, but you'd be perfectly fine if you went like in the spring or something Mm. like that. The summer's hot as fuck, but a lot of those places, the temperature's pretty similar all year round, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Equatorial. Exactly. So they have this other exhibition that is just about the Bermuda Triangle and the folklore around it, and it looks fantastic. I will post in our show notes a link to the little, like, exhibit preview, and it was very, like, is it this? In a world where yeah, exactly. go missing. Aliens? <laughs> farts? This far, ocean farts? <laughs> they cover all the theories it looks like. Um, and if they're a good museum, I assume they don't take a side. But I'm sure they, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm sure they stick with the science. Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, that's that's it, guys. That's it for, for Bermuda. The Triangle of Bermuda. Well, thank you. Now I really want to book a vacation to an island um, (laughs) and get my own legs and experience in this story. Why don't you book Um, a vacation to my house? I live on an island. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Um, Thank you so much for bringing this story to light. It was a little bit lighter than some of the content we've dealt with, but uh, it's very sort of topical, tropical, and uh, wonderful to to explore. So... um, Thank you so much for bringing bringing this up. Oh, my pleasure. It was a it was it was a nice shift from some of the darker stuff that we've been stuck inside lately. And uh, yes, we'll try to maybe we'll keep summer a little easy breezy. Maybe that'll be nice. Well, uh, <laughs> before one. Damn it, Luke! There might be an iceberg on dead ahead. I'm not sure, but no. You know. <laughs> um, with a pyramid on top. With a pyramid, correct. With a Xenu, yes. With a Dynetics, <laughs> with an E-meter. Listening to this episode of the Morbid Museum Podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review the Morbid Museum Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the Morbid Museum. Please send us an email at themorbidmuseum at gmail.com and support us on Patreon today. Become an official more buddy and get all kinds of special content from Katie and Luke. Until next time, we'll see you for another gallery talk inside the Morbid Museum Podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye. See farts. <laughs>